All right, we are back with another episode of Content is for Closers. Here with you as always, Adam Vasquez, my co-host Carlton Riffle. Actually, I should say I shouldn't say as always. I think yeah. was it last week? I guess that it was uh, two weeks, two weeks ago, or no, two weeks. Yeah. All right, I'm lost track. So how, how was that? How did you feel going rogue? Uh, obviously, in the episode, you claimed to have fired me. I showed up anyway for work, so. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's not the case, but yeah, how, how did it, how did it go when, when I was gone? I'm pretty good. I, I, it's going to take some practice if I do that again, you know, it's, I'm not great talking. It's just one of my weaknesses that when I talk, I just have a lot of filler words and use all, you know, all sorts of, you know, this is a bit that you continually come back to, which I respect. It's a recurring bit. Oh, I'm terrible at talking, but. Uh, but that episode is evidence otherwise. Obviously, Luke Luke did a great job as well. But yeah, I thought you guys did a great job. I enjoyed that episode. Thank you. If you haven't heard it, Luke Cleland joined the show and kind of gave very practical tips on, on photo and content creation. And I think what I really appreciated from it is Luke's experience all comes from sort of a different sector that he applied to content. You know, he's just an actual photographer. He has his own wedding photography business and, and, but brought a lot of those tips to marketing and content. And similarly, today's guest has a very unique skill set across a few different verticals that he has brought to bear when it comes to content and and marketing as well. What did you think of the conversation with Barrett O'Neill? Yeah, it was good because he's a, a fellow bootstrapper. You know, he started his business, um, you know, not too long ago, but he essentially he had to build it from nothing. He didn't go out and seek investment. He just decided one day he's going to quit his job and uh, start a storage company. And so he learns a lot of different things. And now he's applying that to a new media company that he's, that he's launched and uh, running now. And, you know, I think with a lot of people that bootstrap it and, and figure it out the hard way, quote unquote. It, it gives you a, a much better appreciation for some of the the subtleties in how you make decisions. Mm. So yeah, I think he brings a great perspective and gives some like really critical advice for people that may be in the same scenario. And now starting with that 2020 hindsight can can help people run their business better. Yeah, he's this super interesting character, right? Because he's got this, you know, prototypical kind of blue chip background. He worked at Bain, which is shout out Mitt Romney, like the top of the top when it comes to finance and consulting. And he goes from that to starting a storage company for college students, or I guess he had done it sort of intertwined, but he goes to doing that full time, which is the opposite of Bain, right? It's very manual. It's very, just get it done. There's not a ton of strategic thought that has to go into it. It's, can you provide the space or not? And, and he's leveraged both of those skill sets into what he's doing today, which is help consulting and helping other businesses. But all of that aside, I think the most interesting thing for me as a content creator and as someone who is, you know, doing this and trying to help other people do it, he's built his Twitter following to like, I think he's got like 50,000 or more followers. I probably should look. I think he said he's at 75,000 now. 75. Okay. And he, he said he started doing that in January. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, that is crazy growth over the course of call it eight months. And I do think it's interesting how a lot of people will say, 
oh, it's too late. You know, that trend has already passed. You know, now there's all these people. But I think I would have said that, you know, even in November of last year, right? Like I would have said, oh, yeah, t- Twitter is just too hard to grow an audience now. You know, maybe you, you can still do things, but you can't, you can't use the same playbook. And really, he, you know, he did use a lot of the same playbook, but then he also gives tips for, you know, new things that you can do and a new way of looking at some of that. Yeah, this is a common argument you and I have. Yeah. I'll, I'll be like, hey, let's do X. I saw it work somewhere. And you're like, yeah, I think that's played out. And normally you're right. And normally no, I can't execute. No, I, yes, no, yeah, I have a strong desire to be original in most of my things. And I think that probably feeds in an unhealthy way towards making me not well, be a trend follower. But I would say for this specific use case, like when he, he talks about the importance of threads yeah. to, to growth. And in my head, I was like, I thought threads died six months ago yeah. or nine months. Like, and obviously, you know, there's something, there's something past that. So he, as you said, he kind of provides his whole playbook. It's a really interesting episode. And I think, I think everyone will enjoy it. If you don't have anything else, let's get into it. It's Barrett O'Neill. Put that content down. Content. For closes on. What's your name? Content. That's my name. <laughs> you know why, mister? Because you drove a Hyundai to get here tonight. I drove an $80,000 BMW. That's my name. Content is for closers. All right, we're back with another episode here of Content is for Closers. We've got Barrett O'Neill joining us on the show. Barrett, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. We're excited to have you. So we were talking offline, had some Boston memories. I was We were sharing back and forth. You're in the Boston area and have started a couple of companies there. You've got the on-demand storage hat there. Tell us about that and, and your other business that, you've, that you're running. Yeah. So on-demand storage is pretty cool. It was actually founded in a dorm room at Babson College where we went, which is in Wellesley, a suburb of Boston. What we realized was that all the international students that were there, they were going to Whole Foods in their Ferraris and Lamborghini and Maseratis. And we said, okay, we got to figure out how to get a little bit of that money into our <laughs> pocket. I think I got an internship at UBS, which for those who don't know is a bank. And I think, I think it was like $14 or $15 an hour. So I just started doing some math and I said, okay, I think that after tax leaves me at about $4,800 for the summer. And I'm like, that, that ain't going to cut it. So what we did is we we created a website, a little brand. It was called Simple Storage at the time. We put a flyer under every door on campus, stored about 67 students in my parents' basement, which is we lived about 20 minutes from campus. I think we did like 22K in revenue. It was like 98% profit. It's probably the yeah. best business that's ever been run. But that was pretty much it. And then we realized there's just this opportunity in this changing storage industry where we could fill up real estate with Really, we focus on commercial customers, so a little bit of student business and some other stuff, but primarily commercial. And we just fill up space and we charge people monthly. And we've just found that at least where we are, space is really at a premium. So we're able to charge like 28 29 even $30 per square foot. And like our cost is not even close to that. So it just creates really nice economics, but it's advantageous for our customer because they don't have to go and lease their own space inside a long-term lease. So there's really an advantage to both sides. So we just kind of noticed that opportunity. It's not the sexiest business in the world, but it's fun and and we've bootstrapped the whole thing. So it's been enjoyable. So so for clarity, you are renting out other people's empty commercial space? So we have our own 
Yeah, we have our own commercial space. And then what we'll do right. is, we, yeah, we'll make, we have deals with some recurring deals with manufacturing companies that need overflow space. We'll store that. And then we have a, a delivery network. We don't have our own trucks. We don't want to be in the trucking game, but we have a network of companies that will deliver and pick stuff up for us. And then we also will help companies whether they're in transition or a lot of companies are constantly shifting space, at least in the, the Metro Boston area. So they need, they need this space. And for whatever reason, finding three to 5,000 square foot units to store stuff is extremely difficult. It's a very rare space to find in our area. So our, our theory was we could get bigger space and then we could lease out chunks of that to these companies. And then it's just kind of grown from there and, and they pay monthly and, we we make money by charging more per square foot, but the benefit to them is they don't need to go out and deal with like finding real estate and assigning somebody to that. So there's not really any symbiosis there. Yeah, that's a great business. I feel like I, there's a couple business stories I'm aware of like that. There's Nick Huber. He started with a similar-ish model. And then my buddies over at Bellhop started with yeah. almost the exact same model. Yeah, those guys um, have done well. And I actually, we almost start. bought Nick Huber's storage squad student storage oh, cool. service yeah we used to compete against him and dan as his partner who's who is growing on twitter as well he's really both great guys incredibly smart successful entrepreneurs so we know those guys pretty well and i've i've heard i don't know the bellhop guys but i've heard that they've they've done they've done well yeah they they shifted more to becoming a tech company after several years doing doing that part of it so and they've, they've done well, at least, you know, in terms of raising money and stuff. So w- quick question on the parent thing, like, were they just cool with, with the basement getting overrun with, uh, with storage stuff or somewhere in my, in my Twitter meta thread there, I tell the story, but I, I think it was something along the lines of, Hey mom, is it cool if I store a couple of my friend's stuff in the basement this summer? <laughs> they don't live close to here. And then I just, you know, I just, I sh- shot dad a call and I was like, Hey, look, here's what's really going on. And he was, he, my dad's an entrepreneur. So he was like, I love it. Just yeah. you know, cool. <laughs> and my mom was like awesome. freaking out. She was cool with it. She loved it, but it was, I guess she liked it more. And I wasn't asking her for money all summer. So we felt rich at the yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That's a great, great success story. So I've seen you talk a lot on, on uh, Twitter about the idea of risk, the idea of jumping out with the net. And I, I think recently you were, you were writing about the fact that you jumped out without necessarily, you know, the safety net uh, from your full-time job and you wouldn't recommend that to others. Tell us a little bit about that. Yep. So I'm 30 years old. So I've been a full-time entrepreneur for about six full years, literally coming up this month. And at the time I thought that that was the way to do it. I've since learned a lot. And I also think a lot of tools and, and resources have come out in the last six years in particular about like slowly ramping up. I think the rise of freelancing and things like that are, are really attractive and very economically beneficial. And so I, I was working at Bain Capital, which is an investment company out of college. And it just wasn't for me in terms of being in the office all the time. So what I did was we came up with this idea for storage. We had done it in the past. We wouldn't work a year. And I, we kind of just jumped in and quit. And, and t- at the time we were doing primarily student storage. So if you think about how dumb this is, we quit our jobs in July and our main customer was going to be student storage customers, which <laughs> we could have school in May. So there wasn't like a ton of thought process that went into that. So that's one reason. Yeah. But well, I think the big thing is now, and what I've learned through my agency, Brightline Media, which I know we're going to get into is I think 
starting with client work teaches you so much about entrepreneurship, getting customers, servicing customers, dealing with unhappy customers, getting referrals out of happy customers, all these things that are really important to growing, growing your business. And you don't need to, you don't need to be doing it full time to even make a lot of money. I think most people could replace or surpass their income while still employed. And I have this theory now, and I've totally 180 on this, is that the best peace of mind is cash flow and a little bit of cash in the bank. It actually allows you to take a step back and say, do I really want to work with this person? Is this, is this an ideal customer or is this just a customer? And those things that don't really seem like big deals at the time, but if you deal with enough of just a customers and not ideal customers, over time, it just you lead to a place where you're not happy, you're a slave to your business, all these different things. So that's why I'm... I'm I think the next generation of, of entrepreneurship is is really exciting because you almost don't have to choose. And I felt at least I didn't know anything about client work. I actually learned about client work and agency work from being on Twitter. So I didn't know about any of this stuff. So I started an asset heavy business that was seasonal at the time or not seasonal any longer in the opposite season that would be appropriate. Right. In the off season. No money. It, it, so you think of all these things and it's like, well, yeah, I made myself miserable for three years. That wasn't very smart. And then it was when I figured out my agency business that my personal life got a lot better. And I just look back and I'm like, I honestly could, I was taking two hour walks at lunch because I didn't want to be in the office. I could have been like in, in Boston common code calling people or something. And I would have yeah. done that. If I'd known about it. So that's really what, why I'm preaching that hard because I actually was really, really hard for two years. Like just, you know, your self-esteem is low. Like you're not, you're making less money than all your friends, all these things. And so it, it, it's really hard. And I don't think you have to do that to yourself. Like, like it doesn't have to be hard. Uh, yeah. It's a really good perspective because I think a lot, so I, I'm a similar timeline. I'm 32, but have been self-employed for about five years. And I think for me at the time, I had to do it that way. Like I had to just rip off the bandaid partially because I knew I was do going to do, I was working at an ad agency and then was going to do some, some bit of services. So it was going to be hard to like let those coexist. But the other side of it is I think a lot of people use some of that complex as reason to not go all in, you know what I mean? Or, or whatever. And I think, it, you know, you can see both sides of it, but for certain personalities, I think quitting and having to figure it out. And I think your point is you can kind of begin that process of figuring it out even before you quit and not have to deal with, I mean, we definitely took on terrible clients and, you know, and, and strapped ourselves to bad situations. So that on onboarding or on ramping through freelance or whatever it is can kind of help you avoid that to some extent. Well, I think you just brought up a really interesting point that I think is an important one to touch on, which is everybody's different. And so I was actually having this conversation on the phone with one of my friends who also, he has an anonymous Twitter account, but it's pretty big, like 70,000 followers. And and he, I told him how we were talking about this and I said, oh, I wish I did it the other way. And he's like, well, knowing you, I think you're the kind of person that had to rip the bandaid off. And I'm like, well, that's fair. Maybe, maybe I actually wish I just started a business that was faster path to cash flow. So I think, you know, when you analyze opportunities, now I'm very thankful because my my diversification is split between the physical world with my storage company and the digital world with my agency. So it's a really nice balance. And I kind of can take something from this and apply it here and, and vice versa. But either way, there's a there's a way to be methodical and smart about it. And it really, I think the point is that the faster you can replace or surpass your income at your full-time job, that's going to be the 
confidence that pushes you to keep going and allows you to kind of stick with it. Because after about a year, I was like, I don't know how much longer I I can go. I think we made ten thousand dollars in our first year. It took them ten grand my first year. I made like seventy five or eighty in my first year out of college at at my job. So it was just like pretty dramatic. And granted, I lived locally, like I lived at home and stuff like that. But not everyone has those opportunities. But I, I could have had a lot more fun at like twenty four and twenty five and twenty six, and you know that right. than I did. <laughs> but tell us about that. Tell us about how you how you leaned into, I mean, cause there's, there's an inherent uncertainty that comes with being an entrepreneur to begin with. It's even more impactful when you think about like, you know, the, the cost that's lost by hypothetically leaving a job or, or hypothetically you lose a certain amount of whatever that you, that you had with Bain opportunity, capital, et cetera. And when you're in the middle of it, it's you're only making ten thousand dollars a year, et cetera. How did you work through that, and how did you continue to push to where you were able to come out the other side and not only make the storage business a success, but now have the second media company as well, where you're helping other people with the lessons that you learned? What well, walk us through some of that? Yeah, so I think the first thing, if you're lucky enough to have, if you're in a relationship, so my wife now, Erin, she was huge in, in just being like, Hey, keep going, keep going, keep going, which it feels really good when, when, you know, somebody that maybe you want to spend your life with is pushing you and supporting you. So that gives you confidence to keep going as opposed to if they were saying like, Hey, you need to stop and go do right. That's going to stress you. That's just like going to cause stress in a whole other area of your life. But that was number one. I was, I was lucky with that. And, and we've since got married and, and it's great. So she, she was great. I think the other thing is it's all almost like ignorance is bliss a little bit. I remember my mom, cause my dad was an entrepreneur and had a s- similar thing. And she, she said something and this is like, you know, moms are always right. And it's one of those things, no mom, not bringing a coat, not going to be cold. And it's very similar to that. And she goes, we were starting the business. She's like, oh, I'm so happy for you. She's like, just so you know, you know, it's going to take three years to make money. And I'm like, mom, you don't know anything. Okay. Like, you know, you're, you're a great nurse, but you don't know anything about business. It's like, three years to the freaking day on the dot, <laughs> like on the nose. And so I think a little bit ignorance is bliss. Like had I known being honest with myself on a self-assessment, if you would have told me that like, Hey, from day one to day 900, I guess when you think about it that way, you're going to, you know, really grind for 900 days. I don't know if we're having this conversation right now. Yeah. So I, I think a little bit of that, but it's also just one day at a time. You just got to keep, keep pushing, right? Like anything. And it's even the same at a job. Yeah, you're going to be getting paid the whole time, but your upside might be capped by, you know, office or company politics or whatever. So there's always a downside to everything. So if you want to, my ultimate goal is to create a life where my income is tied very little to my time. I know for a fact I would not be able to do that at a company. So that was really it for me. It's like, I'd rather, you know, go down swinging and, and, that that's what I did. But in hindsight, when I really think about it, 900 days, maybe over a thousand, if you really do the math, but yeah, that's a tough thing to sign up for on the front end. It's almost better that you, you don't know. Also <laughs> shout out mom, just coming through when you, when you finally were, you know, cash flow positive, making some money, was she like, yeah, it's, it's time. Like I told you it was going to be right, right around I, now. I told her, I was like, I said, I hate, I absolutely pains me to admit this, but you know, more than I do. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> I bet she loved that. Uh, yeah. So if, but see, my parents are super supportive too. So just, if you're lucky enough to have family around, it definitely makes it easier to do it. 
It's a great point too, because I think this is one of the things that I get passionate about. People often talk about the idea that you have to start a company when you're extremely young, or at least when you're untethered, untethered to any location, any people, any, you know, anything that could hold you down, quote unquote. And my experience is very similar to yours in that it was the entire opposite. Like my wife was actually pushing, you know, no, go ahead, do it. And I would always be like, I don't know, I need to be able to, you know, whatever. And if anything, I think I used her as a crutch more so than what she actually feared. And so I think that that system of a fan, now I have two kids. And so that adds a whole element, like that all adds to the, your, your mentality, your endurance in a lot of ways, your creativity in some ways. So I think a lot of that is, is overblown, but you're one of my favorite types of marketers because so many of of marketers and myself included come up as marketers, meaning we didn't operate businesses and then learn how to market because of that. We, you know, for me, I worked at a bunch of different, I worked at a management consulting company and then some agencies. And so my experience was based on consulting other people's businesses, which is fine, but it's not the same as when you're grinding on day 720 and you have to find a way to market in order to get out of the, you know, the basement or whatever it is. So that all of that context is sort of what bore your company, Brightline Media. Yeah. How did, how did that come about? What do you all do there? And, and kind of tell that story a little bit. Yeah. So that Brightline came out of on-demand storage, really. So we, with on-demand storage, we got enrolled. There was this banker who was, uh, it was his last week on the job at a, a local bank here in Massachusetts. And they're, they're a relatively business-friendly bank, but still banking, banking is tough for small businesses until you probably have at least five, six tax returns, you know, and you have a relationship. It's really hard relying on traditional lenders. And so they had some express programs, which was a crazy program. It basically, if you, if you, if you gave them, I'm trying to think of what it was, it was like, if you literally printed out your QuickBooks and sent it to them, they were like giving you a loan. And this guy's like, oh, it's my last week and I'm retiring next week. So I was like, all right. So he gave us 75,000 bucks, uh, which we bootstrapped our business. So it was like, this was, uh, we felt like, you know, Steve Jobs or something. Flush. Yeah. It was, yeah. I was like, oh my, <laughs> like, we're rich. And so me being the genius, I convinced my partner, I said, uh, we should dump this all on the, you know, PPC and think about it. Like you do this math, we have a 10%, blah, blah, blah. Some BS equation I came up with. And I'm like, and we'll, you know, we'll turn it into 400,000. We'll pay the bank back and we'll just get a bigger loan and redo it. Obviously 75K down the toilet, a bunch of crap. Oh, no. So, yeah. So now I'd like the stakes are actually raised a little bit because we guaranteed this loan. So I said, okay, I'm going to learn about SEO. And so we just started, we just rolled with it. And I said, I really have a choice. And so I never really thought of it before. And so until this day, we are, our PPC budget is zero. It's all organic. We get like, probably get six leads a day organically. I'd say like two to three of them are good. And every night, like we just got, a, we just landed a $350,000 customer through a web form. Incredible. So it, it, yeah, so it, it's turned into that. So we just, till this day, and, and we recently changed our business a little bit. So we lost some rankings and stuff, which we're working back, but we're focusing only on commercial now. So we're targeting like mostly that stuff. It's just, those are the best customers. So what we did is I just started working with our vendors at that company saying like, hey, we're having success with this. And it just kind of snowballed. I met a kid who did email marketing, who's now one of my really good friends, blew it up from there. 
Then I started tweeting about this stuff. And then that's totally changed it because now with an audience, like it's a lot more inbound and people are coming to me. And so, yeah, I pitch myself a lot of the time, just like, hey, I'm not, you know, a, a standard marketer. I, I still own equity and run businesses and then cash flow oriented. That's why I tweet a lot about entrepreneurship and operating and running a business too, because that is the other half of marketing. Getting customers is easy if you have if you have an unlimited budget or you right. can lose money, right? Like it, it's it's really no feat. Getting customers in a way that is profitable and sustainable and that can be reinvested into that's something to be proud of. And so that that's really where I I try to operate and think about to me earned media, which is like SEO, and now I think personal branding for executives and leaders is going to 10x in value over the next five years. So that's why I'm doubling down on that. It's a great point on operating the business. I think it's why so many people, creatives who come into, you know, the they they maybe start as a freelancer and then decide, okay, I'm going to open up my own shop or my own agency or whatever. It can be a struggle because you're really good at the one thing, but there's so many other things that need to be done past client acquisition you know, in order to, to run a successful business. But yeah, so you mentioned thought leadership there at the end, personal branding. You've obviously grown a very significant audience on Twitter. Uh, you may be on LinkedIn as well or other places. I'm not sure, but just get any, started on LinkedIn. Okay. Any downsides or distractions that you've seen from growing an audience so, so large, or is it just, you know, helpful oh. and, and <laughs> cyclical? Yeah. So I think, I think we all, like a little dopamine hit every, every For now sure. and then. So I think, I mean, I think early on as it, as I was scaling my audience, you know, I was like refreshing my Twitter like then. <laughs> now it's now I'm like at the point where I, I like, I have 75,000 followers roughly. It's like, if you can't monetize 75, you can't monetize 750, you can't monetize 7.5 million, right? Like mm -hmm. it, it, those are just orders of magnitude past a certain point. And I honestly think it goes way further in the other direction two from 75,000. So my thought now is right. Like I view it as an asset. And so audience is, is it's like currency. You can trade your audience and your influence for meetings, money, which is like clients or sales opportunities, uh, DMing people that might not have responded to you without one. And so it doesn't actually make you a smarter or better person. I think you get a little bit smarter from writing and, and putting in the, the sure. work and stuff like that. But the real value is just the doors that it can open and can potentially open, right? It's just like being at the poker table with a few more chips, I think. And I think that those will be more important as time passes because here's here's the 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 question I always use for people, and this might be helpful to put it in a in a way that everyone can relate to. So do are you a basketball fan? Huge, unfortunately. 6%. Okay, so you might you might debunk this, but maybe okay. not. So it's like, so who owns the, who owns the Houston Rockets? N Nelson or Nilman Fertitta or something like that. Right. So Sorry. you maybe know you're a huge basketball fan. Who owns the Dallas Mavericks? Cuban. That's it, right there. Like you can ask any person on the street who owns the Dallas Mavericks. It's Mark Cuban. Yeah. And that's a function of him building an audience. Obviously, insanely successful entrepreneur, but he built an audience. And this, another great example is who's the CEO of Bank of America? No idea. No idea. Who's the CEO of JP Morgan? Jamie. Guy. Jamie. And yeah. I, yeah. It's like, but it's like, why do we, why do I even know that? I don't have account. Adam Newman's I personal banker. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 so I, the, that's important because we used to associate 
people with the companies they work for. We're now associating companies with the people who lead them. Elon is the obvious crazy, like who's the CEO of Ford? It's like, I have no idea, you know, and then you look at Elon. I mean, he's like the extremes, you know, but I think the Mark Cuban one's fun because it's sports related. It is. Most people don't know. And it's like, those teams are like, what, two hours apart or something like that, three hours apart. And it's really interesting. So all the smart people that I knew, not famous people like that, but smart people were building an audience on Twitter. And so I said, I better get started. And so that's the way I look at it is, I think on a good month, I'll get like 21 or 22 million impressions on my tweets. That's insane. So you can't buy that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you think of that, what does that cost on Facebook or something? Right. And it's like, costs going up every day as they keep, you know, as Apple keeps making it harder and harder. Two questions. Was I right about, was this, is the Rockets guy for Tinder? I don't know. Like I refuse. Oh. I refuse to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You, you have to let me know. Okay. Um, All right. We'll look it up afterwards. I, the only reason I would even know is because the Sixers, Daryl Morey came over from the Rockets and then we got Harden. So we have like some, some Rockets ties. So Okay. But, All right. But I don't even know if that's correct. Number two is, yeah. So with, with content creation specifically on, and specifically Twitter, I mean, I think that is what you've done there is super impressive to someone like me because I've been on Twitter for whatever, a decade. I mean, I don't even know exactly how long, but not necessarily in a focused way, you know, not necessarily for, for business purposes, for most of that. So how long have you been focusing on that channel? And then what was it, you know, was it one topic or one practice or when did you start to see the hockey stick growth from wherever you started to, to 75k because that's that's a that's a sizable audience yeah well th- i appreciate that and so i too so i call people that are on twitter that are not actively trying to go i call them twitter lurkers and you would be surprised at the people who will pop into your dms as you grow that are twitter lurkers and like they're people for example i had one guy who reached out to me from an anon account with three followers the little just gray guy is the photo and he's like hey i'm the ceo of a 100 million dollar mortgage company blah 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 like this is just my burner account like so i should like stop that <laughs> and i'm like what well, this is so weird so i i hesitate to do it but i'm like okay here's my email you know email me or whatever and he and he was he really was wow. and so like we were you know we like, will text and I, i'm gonna help him with some stuff probably but um that was pretty eye-opening to me. And I, I probably only had 10 or 12, maybe 15,000 followers at the time. And, and so that's the type of the audience you're getting there. And so for me, I started really focusing on it on, in January this year. It was like New Year's resolution type thing. I was like, I really? really wanted, yeah, I really want to do this. You can go back and through my meta thread at the top of my profile. And it has every thread I've done. And so threads is how you grow on, on Twitter. And, but there's different orders of, there's different types of, of threads, right? There's like the engagement threads that it's like low quality. So mine are all focused on business entrepreneurship, uh, different strategies that you can use in business. Like I really like uh, how companies use different psychology, psychology strategies to grow, grow their business, price their products, things like that, Sure. or marketing stuff, specifically SEO and earned, earned media. And so that's all I really tweet about in that lane. So I don't really do a lot of like here's seven ways to get rich. And it's like, you know, like mm-hmm. eat breakfast or something like that. Like I don't, that, <laughs> that stuff will get retweets and stuff, but like, I don't Right, the, the point. I'm not doing it to pump my ego. I'm doing it to build leverage. And right. so I won't, I would rather have like audience size at a certain point. I know people with 8,000 followers who make, 
you know, a million bucks a year off Twitter. And I know people yeah. with 250,000 who can't make a thousand a month. So it's, it's really is about the affinity of your audience. So I really like to tweet about what I like and what I care about and what I'm learning. So my whole strategy is the intersection of what I'm doing and what I'm learning. And that's what I, what I tweet about. Like, in a okay, but give us, give us some, that's a, where were you in January? You're not at zero in January, right? Like 2000, but it was like friends and family. So this is, yeah. this is a significant growth this year. I mean, we're, we're recording this. It's August 2nd. So the last. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I've been like roughly 10,000 a month. Wow. I mean, I, I know May and June were slow because I think there was like a little there. I, maybe my stuff just sucked then, but I thought there was like the algo was being a little slow and I was away a little bit. So I was like reposting stuff and not. Yeah. I that attention that I need it. And Twitter was distracted because they were getting acquired and you know, all that. Yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they, I think they were toning some stuff down. They didn't want Elon to see. Maybe that's yeah. Right. <laughs> maybe that content was just garbage, but I remember super to, uh, say that. I, I mean, I know you just said number, the number doesn't matter, but that's super impressive. I mean, for, especially for someone who, you know, is, is learning on the fly here, like coming into it and tweeting about your experience, about your business. That's, that's incredible that you've, that you've built that people just love tricks, trends, tactics, like anything that you, you'd advise as someone's trying to start and build in an audience of some kind. Yeah. What I would do is, is find, like, you can look at my account. And so I think what is your account, by the way? We'll link it, of course, yeah. below, but just yeah, say at, it for- At Barrett J. O'Neill. So B-A-R-R-E-T-T-J-O-N-E-I-L-L. And it's a, it's a good question. So I think like everything and kind of back to the beginning of the conversation, there's the way like you did it. And then there's the way you would do it if you knew what you knew right, now. Right, right. And so I think that's more helpful because everybody has different levels of, like there might be some people who can grow way faster than I did if they're, naturally great writers. Like it took me a while to become a good writer. I think I'm pretty good now, but it, it took a lot of work. So what I would do is I would find like 10 to 15 big accounts that you really like. I would follow them. I would study all their stuff, how they're doing it. And so the way that you grow follower account is 100% with threads. Like that's how it is. But then I think you need other threads for like to interject some personality, to interject authority, to reinforce. And so like because to achieve virality, there has to be a, some level of mass appeal or else it won't go viral, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that's kind of the conundrum of going viral. It's like you get a lot of followers, but it's hard to build extreme authority with that. So then you reinforce as you get new followers with authority. So I'll do things like I'll tweet something, you know, maybe about a negotiation strategy that I use to close a deal or something. And then I'll reinforce that that week if I get a couple thousand new followers. I'll reinforce that with saying like, Hey, you know, people are really out here trying to overcomplicate how SEO works. I think if you get strong backlinks, you add 4,000 words of content per month and your website loads fast, then you're ahead of 95% of people. And so that just educates those people like, oh, okay, like, hey, that's super interesting. That sounds like some earned wisdom and and maybe some stuff that, you, you know, you wouldn't read. A blog might make that 5,000 words or something to get that right, across. Right, right, right. And so you reinforce it that way. And then, you know, then ultimately maybe you make some offers like, hey, have a spot open with my agency this month, you know, DM me or, or whatever it is. And so I think that that's kind of how it works. You cast a wide net and then slowly shrink it down to offers. And if you're looking for someone who's probably the best at making offers on Twitter is a guy named JK Molina. He's, he's the best at offers. Like he probably makes the most of his Twitter account of anybody that I've seen. Uh, really? Okay. Yeah. He's, he's 
he's like, he, he has a saying, he says, likes ain't cash, <laughs> which, I, which I think is awesome. But he's really, really good. He's way better at making offers than me. Like, I, I'm good to follow if you want to look at what works for growing audience and stuff. But JK has like the tactics for like turning it into cash. I'm always studying his stuff. Likes it. Oh, his his website. I'm just looking. His website is likesaintcash.com. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> <That's incredible>. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great. That's like, I love that. That's yeah, that is. Yeah. So he's, he's awesome. Though. I would definitely recommend following him. And I would look at big accounts and just see how they're doing it. I would also turn notifications on. If you comment thoughtful stuff on people's, they'll eventually, the, kind of the, the unwritten rule on Twitter is if you engage enough with someone thoughtfully, eventually they'll start engaging back, even really big accounts. So it's just like turn the little bell on so you can push notification when they tweet. And then eventually I would form groups of people where you can kind of bounce ideas off of and you just get to know people. I look at it through a networking lens. Mm-hmm. not through a follower lens. And then like the followers are kind of a byproduct of knowing good people and putting out quality content. And it's like followers will come. That's awesome. Love that. Love all the, the love all of the story that you've been able to share with us and the way that you've pushed through and congrats on everything that you have built to this point. What, what, what has you excited moving forward? Any content, any ideas, any trends that you're particularly excited about? a good question there's a lot i'm excited about in the future i think overall the the thing i'm most excited about is the ability for the individual to build leverage is it it feels like it's increasing at a pace that it is hard to keep up with almost where i don't know if you ever heard that naval ravikant podcast where he talks about labor capital code and audience as the fourth big time if yeah if anyone who listening has not listened to that, shut this one off and go, go listen go to that listen, 100%. It's way better. And, but that concept to me, that was really why I started tweeting and getting into it. And so it's really the individual. And what I mean by building leverage is the ability to multiply yourself, multiply your knowledge, multiply the resources that you can provide to other people really in an infinite way. And you can almost completely disassociate your time with income. And you think even back to our parents, my parents are in their sixties. You think back to their generation, it's like they genuinely did not have these opportunities. The only type of leverage they had was labor and capital, but you needed capital to get labor then. Now we have a global workforce. You have the internet, which is obviously the ultimate leverage is pretty much free. You have Twitter, all these different social media apps, which are literally free that you can build insane leverage on. So that's what I'm most excited about. It's like the individual is just way more empowered than, and I think that's only going to increase. It's like, I think more, more things will become individual, which is a good thing. Gives ownership to, to the people. Yeah. That thread you were, you referenced, there's also a podcast. It's also yeah, essentially become a, uh, Eric Jorgensen compiled all of Naval's isms into a book the Navalmanac. oh really oh yeah you haven't you should you gotta you gotta check that out the Navalmanac is excellent to have it on my bookshelf <laughs> it's smart to get your own almanac it is he didn't obviously write it somebody else compiled it but he's like signed off on it uh, at the end so uh, it's a pretty good resource That's but yeah incredible. we'll link yeah. all of that below for anyone who who has not gotten to engage with that golden wisdom but barrett yeah. thank you so much for your time thanks for jumping on with us. Thanks for letting us follow along. If anyone else wants to check out what you're doing, check out your businesses and obviously follow along with your journey, where should they, where should they follow? Yeah. So 
obviously on Twitter, Barrett J O'Neill. You collect with, connect with me on LinkedIn. I think my handle's the same there. And I'm actually launching a new site for my agency. It's brightlinesocial.com is our domain. There we so go. Put my new site up and up and running in hopefully a week. You know how that goes, probably two. So, <laughs> so but yeah, I'm happy to connect with, with anyone. I'm always looking to grow my network and yeah, follow along and hopefully can learn something. All right, man. Appreciate it. We'll catch you soon. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to this episode of Content is for Closers. We hope you find this show really helpful as you grow your business with content. Maybe you know of other people who would find this show helpful as well. How about you send them our way? If you didn't like this show and you want to tell us that, then you can head over to contentisforclosers.com where you can send us a message, give us some feedback, ask questions, or find detailed notes for every episode. Until next time, keep creating and keep closing.